Welcome to episode 809 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right here, team, welcome along to episode 809 of I Am Talk with Coach John Yusum and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Oh, I'm pretty good, Bevan. You look, you, look, you look a bit flash in the morning, mate. You got your, what do you call that, a polo shirt on? Oh, yeah, they got to look flash for you, man. You just turned the video flash. off. Where'd you go? No, this is just uh, this is just regular day-to-day clothing, Bevan. You're just mate. used to seeing me in my bike kit. No, you're high class, you are. You've turned your video off. I can't see you. <laughs> there we go. Hey, you don't go. I see you. You just want a bit more of that polo action, don't you? Hey, bring on the boom, chicka, boom, wow. I took us proudly brought to you by our fantastic patron partners. Okay, profile design. We've got hydration wheels, storage, aero bars, stems, handlebars. Check them out at profile-design.com. And we're going to have some stuff to give away from them uh, in the next week or two. Good stuff. We've got the Magic Fight custom fitted uh, swimming goggles. You can check it out at the Magic five and that's the letter five on I mean, the, the number five not the word dot com and we're gonna be doing a draw for a pair of magic five goggles at the end of today's show oh good and times the world triathlon store okay and that's where you get your iron talk gear and remember you go to um to check out when you look for iron talk or go to iamtalk.me to go to the store where you can see our gear but they've also got lots of cool gear really well made gear you know, it's a really good investment in good gear. If you want to be a patron and you want to support the show and go into the draw to win some cool prizes, just go to www.iamtalk.me and go through to support us and it'll t- take you through there. And while we're talking about that, John, we have got a couple of patrons and I'm going to say Grant, the King of Swing Richards. And carrying on with the King theme, Michael, the King of the Castle, Morpeth. You are the dirty rascal. And then we've got Damien, the $100 bill, Bennett. Now, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got an age group of the week. It's been a long time, John. It has indeed, but yeah. good, to have, good to have that. So keep sending them through. If you've got any age groupers you want to nominate for that, send them on through. We do love spreading the love. And then we have an interview. Yep, I'm going to talk to Scott Tyndall, who's a performance nutritionist, uh, works with triathletes as well as many other sports, and we've got a few specific topics we're going to go into. And then we've got uh, weeks of the week, wang of the week, questions and answers at the end. Well, when we look at the news, John, there's not a lot of racing uh, in New Zealand, unfortunately, because we are a little bit behind the rest of the world with this COVID thing. A lot of races are being cancelled. They are, and uh, Ironman New Zealand are going to be making their announcement either in the next two days, so everyone's oh, okay. sort of waiting on that. But on the upside, Bevan, where our borders are going to be opening, so we can uh, start to escape later in the year. So Epic Camp Kona is on, so if people want to come over to Kona for a week of madness and uh, doing the Kona 70.3, get in touch with me as soon as possible, because that camp is uh, all on like Donkey Kong. Nice, and tell us about it. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's basically a week cruising around the big island uh, so you get to see the entire Ironman course um, you get to swim at the pier you get to ride the whole Ironman course in segments you get to run from the energy lab back into town run a lead drive uh, we also go around to the other side of the island around to Hilo um, really nice over there it does rain a bit and uh, then you get to race 70.3 which takes in the middle segment of the Ironman bike course uh, and it's an yeah, absolutely fantastic race Highly recommend you do one of John's camps. He always puts on an amazing camp, good atmosphere, good camaraderie, great challenge, and obviously doing the race at the end. Just one thing, John, yes. you're a betting man. <laughs> How much, what are the odds on Ironman New Zealand actually happening? 
Uh, I would put it at about 33%, 33.3%. Oh, you think it's that high? Uh, yeah, um, I, that's, that's still pretty low, but I, I'd give it 33.3%. Oh, I'm looking at 10%. I can't see it happening at all. But, yeah. you know, because what race, any races, I know, you're doing your way, aren't you? Uh, who knows? <laughs> okay, well, there you go. <laughs> thing. It's just impossible to plan. It's like just looking into a bloody crystal ball and going, modeling's not going as planned, and who, who knows? So that's yeah. the thing. It's very difficult to know. It is very difficult to know. Uh, the second piece of news we have is that Iron Man have announced that they, Brett Chan sent me through an email. We are! And he said, uh, I'm ready for a rant. We need to join you some rant. And he sent this through, and I have sent it back to John, and, and we were reading it before the show, and he, John said no rant. So the story is, basically, St. George isn't selling as much as Wakona was. And let's be honest, it's probably not a surprise. It seems as though they can get nearly 4,000 competitors at St. George, and at this stage, they've got about 2,600, somewhere around that point. Um, and so what they've gone is they've gone to the athletes within the all-world athletes, and it looks like at this stage, I've invited the gold competitors. Uh, now, now, John, how do you get gold? I know, is it just the amount of races you do, or is it the... Uh, it's, no, it's points. You've got to be really... Pretty good. Yeah, you've got to got to be reasonable or i think you can do a lot of races um so but yeah to, to get gold you've got to be half decent and so they've gone to those athletes and kind of said you know if you want to come along to this world championship by all means there's a, there are some people now tell us your thoughts so yeah so they've invited people uh sort of a little bit along the legacy side of things so if you've done 20 iron mans um in the last 20 years you could go along so kind of got a legacy side of it and then as bevan said they've invited gold members along as well uh always makes me smile when you say gold, gold oh, member. member. <laughs> um so uh, brent i know you want me to rant but i don't really have a problem with this um it's it's you know if, if you're going to have athletes that are of a gold, the gold standard then they're going to be of a reasonable standard so i would have thought you know if that's going to strengthen the field then fantastic um so i don't really have a problem with this uh you know if, if i guess what they haven't done is i would have a problem with this if they'd opened up the general entry and just said hey world champs are on you know anybody can come and do it then I'd probably have a bit more of a problem with it because it is supposed to be a world championship and uh, and there needs to be some sort of form of qualification to make sure you're up to up to scratch. So, but the way they've done it, no problem here. Okay, a couple of questions I have, John. If you do this race, let's say you're a legacy athlete, you've done 12 races and you're waiting for your legacy slot to Kona, does this null and void that? Uh, Evan, you ask me questions. Surely I don't know the answer to that. You gave me the article about five minutes ago. I've got no <laughs> but, idea. But there are some implications around it, isn't there? I'm the, pretty sure, yes, it would now and void your legacy slot for Kona if you took the slot. Yeah. I get it. Look, actually, to be honest, if they get close to the race and there's still 500 slots available, I wouldn't even mind if they just go first in, first served. I get it. I totally get it's meant to be a world championship. But we are in unique times. And if, you know... They do want to make money. I, I have no problems in trying to sell out the race. And it, it kind of, if you did a staged, you know, so you have got people who have qualified who want to go to St. George and then you do the all-world athlete second. And then if there are still slots, I don't know if I'd be that upset just in these circumstances. And any other year you would be like, oh, that's a bit undermining it. But if this you know, was Kona and they were just letting people into Kona, different story. But if they're not filling the race, hey, everyone's got an equal opportunity to go and do it. So go yeah, for it. Here's another question for you. Do you think... This, you know, because this year we're doing Kona on Thursday and Saturday, do you think it's going to be the trend moving forward? 
don't think so. I think it's going to be a debacle in terms of how many people are going to be in Kona. We've been there enough times to know how small the place is, so I, I don't think it'll be sustainable. Yeah, of course, anywhere else in the world, possibly, but in terms of your volunteer base and the interruption it's going to um, cause Kona, I think um, definitely not. But do you, but, but, okay, I get the interruption and I get you're kind of saying the infrastructure and all the rest of it's maybe not up to it, and this year would be a good test run for it. But at the same time, if you're doubling the amount of people there, it's better for the business in Kona. Yeah, but they don't necessarily always see it that way, Bevan. The yeah. locals, you know, how many business owners is there there compared to the locals? So can't see it happening. We had a similar circumstance in, in New Zealand, you know, with, with Challenge Wanaka. Um, then, you know, a lot of businesses complained when Challenge Wanaka came to town. So you'd, you'd think it's good for business. Um, but maybe, of, yeah, anyway, carry on. One other thing in the article, which I hadn't picked up on, Kona's paying 15 deep this year. Right. Or is this St. George paying 15 deep? No, no, because in the article, they said um, Kona will be paying 750000 um, mm. Or maybe it's St. George. Let me have a read. Because it, hey. if they've got to do it in St. George, they've got to do it in Kona. Mm. You can't do one and not the other. Well, you can do anything you want. Well, yeah, but come on. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like, um, Anything, when you kind of give somebody a certain standard to take it away. So let's have a look here. So it's got here. St. George, which will be guaranteed that the race will take place, was a great answer to the problem. But, well, it's not Kona. Sure, for the pros, a world championship, there's 750000 up to grab going 15 deep. So that, that does sound like it's for St. George. But hmm. they can't walk that back for Kona. Let's wait and see. So if you guys want to go see the article, go to triathletemagazine.ca uh, and you can check it out there. Yeah, but that is massive. You're kind of you're underwriting this. Fifteen, like it's only ever paid ten deep. That's that's a big thing. Uh, it is if you if you finish tenth through fifteenth, it is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and because there are a lot of guys who are amazing athletes who get eleventh and get no money. Absolutely. So that's a step in the right direction. Okay, we did have some results. We did. So we had it's kind of weird timing. The the I not ITU the World Triathlon Organization have uh, had their winter sort of world championships over in Andorra, which is sort of on the edge of Spain and France. Um, kind of weird that they put it in the middle of the Winter Olympics, but they had a couple of different formats running there. The first was a triathlon format, which was involved. We didn't really get our facts right on this last week. It was a three-lap snow run before transitioning into a hilly and technical mountain bike course, so you're biking on the snow, and then a two-lap ski, and then you repeat it all again, a total of 8.2 kilometers of running, 13.2 kilometers on the bike, and 12.4 kilometers of cross-country skiing. And the, you had a couple of Italian, or we had an Italian winner on the men's side. He won by 14 seconds, Fran wow. Pizzavento. And then on the female side, we had Daria Rogazina from, I think, from ROC in 203. She won by about four minutes. So that was what they had on one day another day they had a duathlon format where they ran and skied times three so they uh what they do they had a run the run ski format of the duathlon may remove the biking element but the new format of three laps of 1.35 kilometers each on the run two laps of 3.1 kilometers on the skis and the whole block repeated three times through uh and the winners of that were uh i haven't got that in front of me now that was a bit crap <laughs> uh, I, well i'm kind of curious to see what the, the effect of a race like that is on the body you know in comparison to like a traditional swim bike run you know skiing 
you know, going from a run ski bike ski would be just really fascinating to to kind of understand the experience of that, wouldn't it? It would. I've never cross country skied before in my life, so I've got absolutely no idea what it yeah, would be like. Yeah, it'd be fascinating. Have you found the results? I tried to give you 10 seconds there. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, it's, it's coming. What's your favorite thing you've watched in the Winter Olympics so far? I've only watched, um, so for New Zealanders, they'll know what this is, but we, we, we've actually never really done that well at the, Olymp- at the Olympics, but we've had a couple medals over the history of it, but we had our first ever gold medal the other day by a girl called Zoe, what's her name, la- John? Zoe Sadarsky Sinnott. and uh, I did watch that, and it was pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. So what confused me here, Bevan, is the same person won both races. That's why I got confused. Oh, really? So That's impressive. Franco Pizzavanto from Italy won both of them. And they, oh, both Mr. Franco. The same, they both took about the same time. And we had a different Russian win the duathlon format. Anna Medvedeva took that out by about five minutes. So the Italians and Russians taking that out. There you go. That was all the racing we had at the weekend. Okay, we got an email through from Skip the Bone Crusher Slade, and he's just saying that he sent through the swim start times for what we are going to see in Kona on October this year. So again, we're doing the female and some age group men races on the Thursday, and then on a Saturday, the rest of the field will be racing. Um, it was just one, one thing he was saying. He's done 12 Ironmans over the years, finishing 13 that he raced. He came close to qualifying. He got one place off and three places off twice. And he, so he's taking a slot this time and he's been doing triathlon since 2007. And that's why I love the legacy. Like, obviously, you know, he got so close by, you know, trying to get there anyway. But the legacy is so cool because someone like Skip, who, who I know is a triathlon coach and it's given so much to the sport. These are the people you want at the race, aren't they? Exactly. So yeah, yeah the, the format is I've gone the Thursday, you've got uh, all the women racing. Um, plus, you've got on the boys side, you've got the men over sort of uh, kind of 50 six, over six, 50 over. Well, no, you've got over 60s plus a 50 to 54 and the men's 25 to 29. And then on Saturday, you've got the pro men and then the rest of the men, which is almost all of them from 18 through to 50 plus the 55 to 59 so this will be well thought out um people will just be looking at this gun it's a bit of a mismatch all over the place but what i guess they're trying to do here like you've got the male 25 to 29 who are starting last on the thursday and they're probably going to be the fastest age group athletes out there probably um so they're going to be riding through some of the slowest females so they will have a bit of traffic to get yeah that's that's the one odd one to me well the passes will be really quick so they'll have a pretty smooth ride all the way through okay and now we should have a really fair race the only challenge for them is well, not the only challenge, but a challenge they'll have is when they hit an aid station, um, they may be riding through some of those females um, and, and, some, and the slower males and some of the some of the slower males. So yeah. you would think though that a lot of them will swim through. They'll, they'll beat those athletes out of the swim, and so it'll only be a handful of them um, off the front. So yeah, well thought out. Um, do you oh, think in some ways, do you think if you're in, and you're in that age group, so you're 25, 29, John, and you're, you know, you're the athlete, you're at that age, you'd be a bit gutted? Um, 
Yes, uh, not really, because, uh, you know, you're looking for a clean race, and, and, and I think this probably will provide that, because if you go put the 25 to 29 men mixed in, you know, say with the 30 to 34 or something like that, it just creates a bigger bubble of athletes that are going to be doing roughly the same time, and so, you know, the objective is to try to create as fair a race as possible, so I think it's, um, it's a good move. If I'm thinking I'm a 25 to 29 age athlete, you race Thursday, chill out Friday morning, party Friday night, get up Saturday, and then you <laughs> go all watch, night, mate. Then you can watch a race all day Saturday, and then you party again on Sunday. So I think uh, I'd be pretty happy if I was twenty five to twenty nine. So the, the the only thing I think around it, it's I don't know if I would be that happy with it because you'd kind of want to be with all the, you know, like in Cone. I get I do get what you're saying around it being fair because to be honest, if you're a fast twenty five twenty nine, you know it's you're not going to get any advantage of anyone who's in front of you. Um, you know, cause even the pro females are so far ahead of you. Um, but at the same time, you, you do want to measure yourself against not just your own age group. If you're a real top person, you know, you wouldn't mind seeing how you go overall. Like, you know, like to be honest, potentially, although it probably tends to be the 30, 34 is that, well, no, the fastest age group would be within 25 to 34, wouldn't it? normally yeah Yeah, and so if you're the fastest age grouper and you're trying to be the fastest age grouper overall you're, if you're at that real pointy end of your age group um and you obviously want a podium podium within your age group but you also want to see how you go against all the other competitors within your sex i can see that be a bit disappointing yeah pros and cons and, and the, the thing is those two days thursday and saturday could be complete yeah. contrast you know, one yeah one could be calm record setting day yeah and then the other day could be windy as hell and you're you know you're 45 minutes slower why do you think they've gone in the men's swim that the 35 start first and then the 34 the 30 34 start second? Um, possibly because the 35 to 39 is a bigger group, maybe. Um, okay. That might be might be the reason. And you're thinking 35 to 39 and then 40 to 44 is probably your next biggest group. So you're trying to spread those bigger groups out a little bit. Because interestingly, in, in that gap there, they've only got a 10-minute gap, but every other gap's a 15-minute gap. Mm. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, like, I'm not going to be too critical because, again, it's a science that I know not much about, and I'm sure they've put a lot of, as you say, a lot of time and effort and tried to get it right. Um, yeah, my yeah, my only thing is maybe the 25 to 29. I, I, I know I, I honestly would be a bit gutted, mm. you know, not that I'd be winning or being at the point end, but you know what I mean. Like I, I think I'd want to be able to race on the day where the real you know, real guns in my six were racing, but so be it. It's that's times we live in, John. Um, okay, discussion of the week. Do you agree that challenge and PTO are closely intertwined as it becomes an us versus them scenario, putting challenge against Iron Man? This came through from I think Brett Chan as well, actually. So, you know, with PTOs what they're doing, the question is, is it too aligned to challenge? Not a huge discussion around this one, John. Your thoughts? Uh, uh, let's just pull this bad boy up. Okay, I'll go first. Um, Nigel Burgess has just got, I'm not quite sure what that is. Kayla Hill, just what they're talking about. Not quite sure what that means. So, Christopher Dawes says, who cares? Iron Man has its focus and doesn't include making sure the pros make ends meet. So anyone else showing up trying to achieve this goal might be perceived as against them, but the pros have no choice and deserve better. George Samuel's got Iron Man have brought this upon themselves. It's like uh, it's been said PTO have offered prize money, which has been turned down. Ben Psala uh, says, yes, but Iron Man have brought it on themselves. PTO have been left with no choice. 
Yeah, Arnold Scott, I think PTO do a good job of t- to try to work with Ironman, but in the last years, working with Ironman has been like playing chess with a pigeon. He'd jump on, uh, on board, pick up the pieces, shoot on the board, and then dance in the mess celebrating the victory. <laughs> nice. you got a lot of love for that. <laughs> John Muncie says, uh, no problem for me at all. As stated before, PTO tried to buy Ironman, but their approach was rejected and also have offered to support Ironman with prize money too, which was also rejected. Ironman's new owners have yet to publicly state um, what their intentions are for developing the professional side of the sport. From their silence, you can only assume that they will continue to focus on mass participation only to, and further dilute pro, pro prize purses. As a result, the PTO and Challenge are filling the void and Ironman only have themselves to blame. Maybe time to get Andrew Messick back on the show. But Simpson's got only because Ironman have made it that way. People interviewed have said on the podcast that the PTO have tried to support Ironman races and have been turned down. John, your thoughts? Well, they've, they've only teamed up really in... Um, for the Collins Cup, they'll be having that challenge race there at the same time. And the rest of the, the venues that they've announced is not with challenge organisations. Um, so I don't really, I've got, got no problem with this. I mean, it does seem like it's... They have a good relationship, know, don't they? Yeah, they have a good relationship. And then Ironman do not want a relationship. So I think it does look like it's challenge and the others against Ironman, which it is. Um, but that's because Ironman... Have chosen not to do anything. I just think it's going to be really, really, really interesting to see how Ironman respond in the next 24 months because this year is going to be very different. You think all the athletes are going to be doing at least some of the, if not all, of the, the US Open, the Canadian Open and the Collins Cup and where their Ironman racing is going to sit going forward. Of course, they'll go and do one Ironman every year to make sure they can you know, qualify for, for Kona and get that sort of ticket, and they'll still do Kona, and that'll be a, a big deal. But, you know, will they still go off and do lots of 70.3 races and do other Ironmans, or will they really focus their efforts in on, on the PTO events? So it's going to be interesting times, firstly, to see what the athletes do, and secondly, to see how Ironman respond. I'd love to. I'd love to be in the room, um, in some of the conversations within the kind of the high heads within PTO around their attitude. You know, not the PR piece we're going to get around um, the Ironman organisation. Because let's be honest, Ironman has crept on pros for the longest time. They've they've made them a second class citizen. They've underpaid them. You know, they they only really make them a priority in, in certain moments. And if anything, it's been less and less. Um, PTO have actually been very generous in how they approach the relationship with Ironman, considering, you know, it's a, it's a pro-professional organization where they've kind of been the abused partner forever. Um, so they came into it with a really kind of generous attitude. And Ironman, kind of, once again, kind of crapped on them, didn't they? Yeah. You know, and so... And I, I, I think, you know, I'm really fascinated to see what the sport looks like, 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 looks like in 10 years from now. Like, will Ironman still be the presence that is today? And I know people are going to go, whatever, Bev, you know, like Ironman's such a strong brand. But if Peter, you know, look at tennis, you know, like tennis, the, the pros took over the sport. I guarantee any of the big events that didn't get on board with the pro organization at that time, you know, won't, aren't what they are today. And if the if PTO does evolve to what it can be, similar to what's happening in golf at the moment with this massive investment of money in the Middle East. Oh, tell me about it. I don't know about it. Well, they've just got millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, that 
and whether whether pro golfers are going to go over and do that, and then they'll get banned from doing any of the regular. Oh, really? Events. So then you can't do your, you know, your open events. So you're going. That'd be like saying, Ironman going. Okay, if you can do those PTO events. You're not doing Kona. And but the difference, I suppose, in this one is with golf. I know it's similar in, in, in um, individual athletes, but the PTO is, is just bringing everyone across, isn't it? You know, the PTO, like if PTO, they have the, technically because it's all the athletes, they have the power, you know, because it was the, one year in the 80s, wasn't it, where they did two Konas hmm. and pretty much no one turned up to the second one and Tyndall won it. And there's always a bit of an asterisk because it's like, well, no one was really there other than Tyndall. Tyndall, sorry. So, um, and, you know, if, if, no one starts going to Kona because PTO is doing a better job. Kona does lose its mm. its aura in the long term. So I don't know. I just think we're in a really, I just, I, I think good on, in some ways, I don't think PTO have to, I think in some ways it'll be okay for them to say, you know what, screw it. <laughs> we don't really care about Ironman, if you know what I mean. So yeah, we, we, we live in interesting times, John. We do indeed. This week's discussion is if you if your iron distance race got cancelled or you decide to go out, would you decide to go out and do a maximum effort simulation? And how do you think your times would compare? Yeah. There you go. This flows on to our age, age dribble of the week. week. Okay, Patrick uh, Walkington sent through Roger for sure. He's got sorry guys, second age group of the week nomination in a few weeks. No, we like him, keep sending through. In disappointment of cancelled Ironman race and his first ever distance race, Roger, one of the athletes I coached, decided that it would be a good idea to have a go at completing a full Iron distance race on his own in UK in November. Roger braved a 10.5 degrees Celsius water swim. Oh, that's cold, John, isn't it? That's just, that's not sensible. In November in the UK. Yeah, that is. Because I... 13's freezing, 12's, that's freezing. Uh, He swam uh, one hour and 16 minutes. The after defrosting in his girlfriend's car, that's absolute gold. Uh, He hopped on his bike and completed his bike in 7 hours and 15 minutes and went on to complete a full distance marathon in four and a half hours. It was a challenge enough finishing your first Ironman race with the incentive of a medal, feed station, crowd support and finish line to cross. But to do it on your own, what a legend. Well done, Roger. There you go. That is that is a great effort. First up, Patrick, nice work for sending through another age group of the week. And that's what sort of prompted me to have this week's discussion. So, you know, if you were going to go, your Ironman got cancelled. So for a Kiwis at the moment, your Ironman New Zealand, high likelihood it's going to get cancelled. If it did and you want to go, I want to just see where I'm at. I'm going to go out and try to race an Ironman by myself. Um, how big a difference do you think your time would be um, compared to having the support, having uh, the aid stations, having the crowds and just being, you know, really fired up? What a difference of time, mate. But back to um, back to uh, Roger, for sure. Uh, awesome effort. Firstly, a bit crazy doing that swim. That's, that's really, not that, <laughs> that's really not that safe. I hope you're close to shore. Uh, and just good on him for going out there and doing it when you get you know so many races got cancelled it's easy to throw your toys out of the cot especially if you're first timer but to go and actually complete the distance now now next time when the races do come around you go okay i know i can do it now it's a case of how fast i can do it so hopefully a good learning as well as satisfying experience for roger so roger you are our age group of the week okay john we're gonna interview who we got we got scott tindall he's a performance nutritionist so listen in areas right now <clears throat> 
Righto team, so as we've mentioned earlier in the show, today we've got Scott Tyndall, he's a performance nutritionist on the show, he's worked with many of the major sports organisations around the world, the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, worked with Team Oracle in the America's Cup, plus plenty of triathletes like Sarah Pampiano, who I saw, I think, announced last week she's officially retired, but a uh, great athlete, won plenty of Ironman races, including doing well in Kona, so welcome along to the show, Scott. Thank you very much, John, thanks for having me. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background first. Is there, is there much of a sporting background there or is it mainly in the world of academia? Uh, well, my, my sporting background probably relates more to something you can relate to and that was rugby. Uh, oh, nice. So I, uh, yeah, I played scrum half when I was sort of juniors and played under 19s and 21s. Uh, actually was lucky enough to uh, beat the Kiwis in their home oh. ground in uh, in Canterbury, actually, before oh, I think it was the last time the Wallabies actually won as well. And we won the <laughs> we won the under-19s and then they uh, won the Bledisloe, which you take it back, you, you start to realize how old I am. <laughs> yeah, no, we haven't we haven't won that in uh, we haven't won that in a while. I think that was 1999. Oh goodness. Um so yeah, so I, I played rugby. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, I played rugby for a while and then busted my knee pretty uh, pretty well, uh, doing my anterior cruciate, my MCL and both meniscus. So that was sort of uh, the end of that. Um, and from there, just, you know, got into more of my studies and uh, tried to stay fit along the way. And what's the sort of career pathway sort of looked like for you? You know, you mentioned, I mentioned, you know, being with the America's Cup teams and things like that. So how, how's that sort of navigated to getting to there? Yeah, uh, I actually started as a physiotherapist. So I studied at the University of Sydney uh, out at Cumberland and graduated there and then decided I had an English girlfriend at the time. So we moved to London and along the way, I was lucky enough to be invited to do my master's in sports medicine. Uh, at the University of London, uh, where I graduated after a couple of years with distinction, which was which was pleasing. I think uh, anytime you go on to postgraduate study, it's probably because you actually want to be there. Yeah. So uh, that that was certainly a much easier experience. And then uh, after that, I did postgraduate studies in uh, performance nutrition. So from it was pretty much from my masters that I started getting interested in nutrition, and I could see sort of. Uh, it's something we were never really taught at phys as physios, you know, the importance of nutrition and how that can impact, say, an injury and the recovery from an injury and surgery. And so then doing the masters, you start to see those links and you start to see how it all works together. And then from there, I really, I just said, you know what, actually nutrition is far more interesting than physio <laughs> uh, and started getting right into that. And as a result of that study, I was asked to, you know, I, I worked in professional rugby over there. So I worked with Leicester Tigers, um, the Harlequins, and was lucky enough to work with like GB Rowing and England Cricket. And I think the advantage of working overseas, especially in England and, and at that time back in, um, you know, early 2000s was that Australians were viewed as uh, very good sports medicine practitioners. So a lot of doors open up and um, I was very fortunate to be uh, working amongst these athletes and these teams. And uh, in 2013, I was asked to uh, join uh, Oracle and the America's Cup. I was actually asked to do the San Francisco one, but I couldn't actually get registered yeah. as a physio over there. They have very strict sort of 
regulations. And so that sort of went into hiatus. And then the next one came up, which was in Bermuda, uh, which obviously all the Kiwis know very well. And uh, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to be asked to do it. And actually doing the nutrition was, it was a big sort of uh, feather in the hat because they said, well, okay, you can be the head physio and the team nutritionist. So yeah. I sort of uh, had both hats on for that, which was an incredible experience being able to actually apply, you know, the nutrition uh, in a practical manner to not just a bunch of, uh, you know, highly skilled athletes in the sailors, but also, you know, the other 110 team members and actually try and help them improve their nutrition along the way whilst we're in Bermuda. So that was, that was fantastic. Was Bermuda the one where uh, Oracle did the amazing comeback or was it the one where team New Zealand spanked everybody? Uh, just crushed <laughs> it. I can't, I can't remember. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, San Francisco was the comeback oh, uh, where you guys, comeback, yeah. where uh, yeah, New Zealand, I don't know if you want to call it a choke or whether uh, <laughs> Oracle uh, came back, but no, you guys had the bikes in uh, yes, Bermuda. That's right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, very, very interesting. Look, I'm, I'm not a boat builder and I'm certainly not a, uh, an, an aeronautical engineer, but uh, I think you guys, um, you know, definitely uh, played the, the better cards there. Yeah. And um you know, I think the the interesting thing about the America's Cup is the technology, much like Formula One, plays a huge role. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in it, so yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was very disappointing not to get uh, another campaign out in Bermuda, but uh, you know, life goes on, and yeah. it was it was a, a point in time that I look back on extremely fondly because it was uh, a once in a lifetime experience. Cool. Oh, onto the nutrition things. Um, I sort of have three areas we're we're going to see how far we can we can cover today, and it's it's a questions that we get quite a lot on the podcast, and I get myself personally, and and also one that I'm going through personally myself is you know I'm now mid forties and the old body's starting to change a bit. So can you maybe just run us through? So what's happening to our body as we kind of go through 20s, 30s and 40s from, from a nutritional point of view? And I know this is a massive topic, um, <laughs> but at a, at a sort of 101 level, what's sort of happening in terms of, you know, our nutritional requirements and, and what uh, I guess we'll get into the body fat side of things afterwards. But maybe just give us a bit of an overview on what's actually, what's actually happening. Yeah. Look, it is such a huge question. And I think let, let's take a couple of steps back and sort of say, okay, well, for the, the 40, and I'm in my 40s too, so I can feel your pain. Um, I think what you've got to understand or what you need to get a handle on is like, what's your starting point, especially at this point in time? And do you have a comparison to maybe what you were like in your 30s and your 20s? Because that will start to help you get a better understanding of what's actually going on. So when I when I say that, like, you know, start with like, what is your body composition? So um, maybe go and get a DEXA scan done. Uh, have a look at what your, your subcutaneous fat is, your visceral fat uh, and so on. So visceral fat being the fat around your organs, maybe get a blood test. If and we're talking about, let's talk about triathletes specifically, you know, what is your iron status, vitamin D, B12, testosterone in particular to males and maybe TSH, your thyroid sort of hormones with females. And then potentially you could look at getting, say, uh, baseline data on, say, maybe your resting metabolic rate. Mm. Now, the reason you do these is because these things can be impacted by age. So if we look at, um, you know, multiple studies done of what happens as we age, you are unfortunately going to get a loss of muscle mass and strength 
Um, as we age, we go through a process, what's called sarcopenia, sarco being muscle, penia being loss of. So if you think of osteopenia, which is the, the step before osteoporosis, osteo being bone, penia loss of, loss of bone structure. So effectively, as we age, unfortunately, we lose uh, muscle fibers, we lose muscle neurons, and we lose muscle fiber size. And it all sounds very depressing, but <laughs> unfortunately, this is what happens. Now, the interesting thing with that is it, it can be offset. <clears throat> now, if you lose muscle uh, fibers, then it's unlikely that that hyperplasia is going to be regained. So that's a really important point. Now, fiber size can be changed. So that's things like hypertrophy. Um, you can change the size of the muscle, but if you lose muscle fibers due to detraining, then that, that obviously is going to go. The other things that occur as we age is you're going to get generally a reduced VO2 max, um, a reduced peak heart rate. Again, for the, you know, the lay sort of easy calculation, think of that 220 minus your age, and it becomes very apparent as we age that peak max heart rate is going to be dropping. Um, and then you get reduced testosterone, unfortunately. Um, and if you couple that, then as an endurance athlete, that endurance exercise actually increases estrogen product production. Um, that could be another factor to consider. And then finally, uh, a factor, what we call anabolic resistance. Um, so this is the reduced ability to sort of utilize amino acids to for what we call muscle protein synthesis or the building of muscle that becomes more apparent as we age. Now, the, the really cool thing about our anabolic resistance is that this is seen mainly in untrained individuals um, and it's not as much in trained individuals. Now, what, what's the definition of trained individuals? That's probably mm. a harder thing to define, but it, it's a very good reason to uh, train consistently throughout your life um, and hopefully not just go, okay, I'm in my 40s, I need to start doing some exercise now because you will find it harder. Um, but also another good reason not just to do aerobic type capacity exercise, but also the strength training. Mm. Um, so that's probably, you know, the, the what you need to start to think about in terms of assessment, but then what is actually happening to us as we age. And if you look at uh, some of like Stu Phillips groups, so he's done, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of exercise uh, on, well, okay. Let's remember that the athletes masters group has not really been studied that well either. Mm. Um, and some of the studies that they've looked at is like muscle damaging endurance exercise and, you know, masters athletes experience a slower recovery rate. So compared to the younger, similar trained individuals. So we know immediately that the recovery time from as we age is going to get reduced and become less and less. Um, and they have this lower sort of muscle protein synthesis um, compared to the younger athletes and, and the repair and remodeling gets harder as we age. So it, <sighs> It, it's not that it can't be um, impacted through nutrition, mm. but it's really important to understand what is happening from sort of the underlying scientific reasons why you might want to consider some of uh, the nutritional strategies that we'll probably discuss in a minute. Mm. But obviously, you know, and this, this, this is a, a theme that's been pretty consistent with anybody we talk to doing you know in incorporating strength and conditioning into your program is is obviously going to be increasingly important as you as you sort of move through the different age brackets 
Yep. And the, the other thing, and just to remind people about this is that lifting weights is great. <clears throat> it's much like, you know, improving your nutrition is great, but don't silo them. You know, they work in, they work together, they facilitate each other. So if you do a great weights training session, if you miss the optimal nutrition post training, then the results of that training aren't going to be as good as what they could have been if you actually nailed your nutrition. Mm -hmm. And likewise, if you, you know, start taking a heap more protein, maybe taking creatine monohydrate, something like that, <clears throat> then it's not going to have the benefit that it would have if you were lifting weights and doing the appropriate exercise. So they, they don't live separately. And it's really important again, to, to consider that doing things in conjunction and, and having that sort of well-rounded training program is going to actually allow you to, to probably offset some of those um, unfortunate <laughs> physiological uh, uh, pro processes that we go through as we age. I'm sort of skipping ahead there because you just sort of segued into another one of those topics I was keen to discuss and that's sort of post-training nutrition. Um, and so I know this, uh, you can't give sort of, well, you know, you can give generalized answers, but it is going to be um, personalized to a degree. So when, when you're going and doing a session at the moment, say you're going for a, this morning, I did a, say a three and a half K swim, you know, a bit of effort in there. Um, what's the current literature sort of telling us you know post-workout whether it be a, a fairly aerobic workout compared to a say a strength and conditioning session what should we be taking in because there's a lot of conflicting advice out there you know you've got the low carb high fat community saying well i won't have anything at all you have different people saying different things but you know from your experience what's the sort of nutrition telling us at this stage are we still talking about the like older athlete? Yeah, yeah, def the definitely. Athlete? Old, yeah. Okay, okay, because that that is an important distinction as oh, well. No, so no, fill us in, fill us in on both, because I'm sure we've got a few, okay. few young listeners out there as well. Yep. So certainly for the older athletes, um, it is important that you are consuming a decent amount of protein. And, and when we talk about that high quality protein, so again, for the omnivores out there talking, you know, uh, eggs, milk, fish, meats, uh, if you're a vegetarian, it does become a little bit harder, but certainly don't get too concerned about sort of um, incomplete proteins. Cause if you're eating a wide variety of plant proteins, you're going to be getting all those amino acids. So consuming quality foods that have a decent amount of what we call leucine, which is a key amino acid is going to be very important. Now, what again, we know is that with the older athletes, they seem to do better with a higher amount of protein post training feeds. So when they compare things like in studies where they've compared say 24 grams of protein versus like 48 grams of protein, literally doubling it. And they're looking at how the individuals respond to that. The perceived recovery from the masters athletes is significantly better, which could have practical implications that they can then perform multiple sessions. So what I would say to the older athletes, and there's no distinction between male, female here in terms of that protein, it's just going to be that they may not actually have to consume as much protein as a female because it, it's based off per grams per kilo of body weight. So, you know, for masters athletes, I'd be recommending that you, you're generally consuming somewhere between 0.4 and 0.6 grams per kilo of body weight in a meal 
Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe take the halfway point and 0.5. Um, so, you know, if you're an 80, 80 kilo athlete, you, you're looking at probably taking around 40 grams of protein in that feed. Now, again, we don't eat protein per se. We eat whole foods. So what does 40 grams of protein look like? It looks like roughly 200 grams of chicken, for instance. Mm-hmm. Now, again, you're going to take a mixed meal. So you might have, you know, two eggs and a small piece of chicken, or you might have two eggs and a small piece of fish in the morning, maybe with... Um, and then we get into the fats and, and the carbohydrates with, you know, depending on what the session is, what the session was, what sessions are coming up, mm. what the individual's goals are, it's going to make a huge impact on that. So, mm. you know, I can, I can give rough sort of guidelines around that, but there is so many intricacies that come into it. Uh, but certainly from a protein perspective, look, you, the recommendations really are really interesting because you know the they'll they'll tend to start at a lower amount of grams per kilo of body weight, which can impact. And if we look at strength training versus endurance training, it's actually slightly lower amounts for strength training when we look at what we call net protein balance. But if we then bump it up, say one point eight grams per kilo of body weight, that tends to maximize it. Mm-hmm. So you depending on again the training of the individual the, and their total body weight you you i i would be recommending to any endurance athlete an absolute minimum of say 1.6 grams per kilo body weight mm. um and whereas generally speaking we're generally with the endurance athletes we're working with they're they're well over two grams per kilo body weight Mm. um and there is there is sort of novel evidence to support up to three grams per kilo body weight especially if carbohydrates are being reduced and training um intensity is you know continuing or training intensity is or volume is is sort of keeping up and people are trying to get into that um, you know, lower body composition through reduction in calories. And generally that means reduction in carbohydrates. Well, hopefully after that, yeah, I noted a study you sent, <laughs> sent over to me that um, for about 43% of triathletes answered, I don't know when asked to identify the recommended post-exercise carbohydrate and protein intakes respectively. So there's still a lot of people out there that are, yeah, don't have too much of a clue about what they should be doing post, uh, post-workout. Yeah, I mean, that that study, I think, was what, 2018? And it was, uh, I think it was provided by Triathlete Australia. And mm. as you said, young athletes and master's athletes, you know, nearly, let's say, you know, 50% mm. saying, I have no idea. And, I, you know, hopefully people have learned a little bit more in the last few years, but it's slightly concerning when people, but I guess you can understand that because you can hear even, you know, when I'm talking about it, there, there's so much that goes into what it is to consider when you are doing this. But I guess, you know, for the, for the person listening out there, what I do see generally is that protein consumption is very low, okay, uh, in the general triathlete, and that needs to increase. And it's not to necessarily build muscle, it's actually to aid recovery. And that's first and foremost. And we see that in the research as well, is that the amount of protein to maintain what we call protein balance is actually higher in an endurance athlete than say a bodybuilder. Mm. And so that's a really important part to take back. And so maybe just, you know, start with somewhere around that 
you know, as I said, 1.6 to 2 grams is a good starting point um, per kilo of body weight. You know, double, double your weight in kilos. And there's roughly, if you weigh 80 kilos, roughly taking 160 grams of protein would be my recommendation. Mm. Um, and if you are starting to cut down on your carbs, then maybe bump that up as well. Um, for post, you know, men and women, postmenopausal masters, they should be taking similar amounts. And that's really important for women as well. And often the women will be like, wow, I've never eaten so much protein in my life. However, then on the flip side of that, they're like, wow, my recovery is so much better. And it's, it's not, again, it's not protein on its own. that's going to have that significant impact. It's certainly going to be carbohydrate intake as well. Um, but protein I have found in my experience working with the endurance community is one of those macronutrients when it is increased, will start to have a very positive impact on their training and their recovery. And just in terms of that intake, um, is there an optimal time? Do you want to be doing that as soon as possible after your workout? Or is there sort of a window that you, 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 know, you kind of want to get it in by? Um, yeah, you don't have to slam it in straight away. I think everyone gets a bit obsessed with, you know, they, they step off the bike or off the, and they come in from the run and they're like, oh, I've got to drink a protein shake straight away. No, there is, you know, probably within, certainly within two hours, you want to be consuming a mixed meal of protein and carbohydrates and fats uh, and generally in whole food form would be preferred uh, if, you know, your time poor and you have a second session coming up, then yes, the the use of a protein shake can be very beneficial. Um, and, and simply from a convenience standpoint, you know, protein shakes and ensuring that you get those amino acids and potentially some carbohydrates. And if you are taking something like creatine, yeah. then, uh, you know, it's a very convenient manner of getting it in. It's also a great way of having a, a snack in the afternoon uh versus you know snacking on i don't know a bag of chips or something like yeah. that so look i again would say it's the consistent feeds throughout the day so if you're spacing out that protein and you know again if you're thinking as a female if they're let's say they're um you know a 60 kilo female the minimum amount of protein we get them eating is 120 grams of protein so they're going to be eating a minimum of four meals in that day. So say breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then potentially a shake. Um, but they may not even cope with that amount of protein. So they may have to spread that out into five meals in a day. Mm. And therefore, if they're awake for you know, 12 hours, they're sort of eating every two and a half hours. And so it's that pulsed sort of uh, feed process or meals that is probably going to be more beneficial than actually just consuming a amount of protein after a feed and then forgetting about it for the rest of the day. So mm -hmm. that, that would be a, a pretty important take home message is try and pulse the proteins throughout the day. Uh, and that's been shown to improve uh, sort of net protein balance as well. So a lot of people listen to be listening to this and they'll be going, yeah, I'm going to have to eat a bit more, get my protein intake up and so on. But yep. I suppose we're battling on the other side that uh, a lot of athletes, a lot of athletes, we wanting to have a strategy to reduce their, their body fat percentage and, and be trying to, to lose weight. So I guess maybe just go over again, you know, establishing those baselines so you can actually measure progress. I know people will have heard it before, but just maybe go through that again in terms of from a fat percentage, you know, some of the measures people can take so they can actually measure their progress. 
Yeah. So the simplest one is actually just get a bit of string and <laughs> measure, measure your height, uh, fold that bit of string in half and put it around your waist. Now, if the ends of that string touch, you're in good, uh, you're in pretty good shape. If it overlaps, you're probably in pretty good shape, like really good shape. If those bits of string don't touch, then you've potentially got an issue. Um, that's what we call a waist to height ratio. And it should roughly be 0. 0.5. I, you know, it's somewhere between 0. 0.45 and 0. 0.55 as a ratio. But that in itself is probably the simplest and cheapest way of establishing whether you actually need to uh, consider uh, improving your body composition. So, so that's the sort of, uh, I, I guess that's the Audi method. Mm. Um, if we then, and it, it's, it's great, you know, there, there's really good research to support the waist to height ratio. And it's, it's such a shame that they continue to use BMI as a measure, which, you know, for the athletic population is not going to be that relevant due to muscle mass. Mm. It doesn't take into account that. So I think the waist to height ratio is a fantastic, very cheap method of assessing, uh, you know, your risk from, uh, you know, if your waist is bigger uh, then you're like in relative to that ratio, then you are more at risk. And let's talk about health here, more at risk mm. from things like cardiovascular disease, metabolic type syndrome. So diabetes or pre-diabetes, uh, potentially cognitive disorders as well. So um, it's, a, it's a very good baseline to establish. Now, if you, if you can go beyond that and you can go and get a DEXA scan, go and get a DEXA. A DEXA scan, as I said, will give you not just bone mineral density, which again, for the female athletes out there it is very important to assess that and make sure that there are no issues with your bone mineral density and it's not limited to females um, we are seeing an increased number of males uh, with low bone mineral density in their hips uh, and I, I believe this is probably because a a lot of people are sitting down a lot these days mm. and not actually doing a lot of weight-bearing exercise and the bike is not considered a weight-bearing exercise and the pool is not a weight-bearing exercise so Again, another reason to lift weights and do some impact exercise, i.e. running. Um, but it, you know, bone mineral density, get that assessed. And then the DEX will also give you a very accurate measure of uh, the visceral fat, the fat around your organs, and then subcutaneous fat, the fat that most people are concerned about, but actually isn't as important as the other type of fat. Mm. So maybe talk us through the sort of the principles of weight loss, you know, so athletes are listening to this. And they go, I know I need to get more protein and I need to get my protein in, but I also want to sort of try to lose some weight. So maybe just talk us through the basic principles of, of what people need to be understanding to be trying to lose, you know, some, some body fat. Yep. And even just before that, I think it's really important to understand that if you are going to try and lose body fat, don't expect your performance in training to be at its absolute peak. Mm. Uh, and I think you've got to pick and choose with your coach the times in your training when you are actually going to try and lose weight because if you're trying to improve you know your power output and you're trying to lose weight you're sort of fighting against yourself because the the key principle of weight loss is uh, being in a caloric deficit you know if you're not in a caloric deficit you're not going to lose weight i don't care what you've read on instagram or <laughs> Um, it just isn't going to happen. Like it, it is, you know, calories in calories out. Yes. It's affected by a number of things, but it still remains that you have to be in a caloric deficit in order to lose weight and especially body fat. So that that's probably the key principle, but thinking about that key principle in relation to your training phase is really important because, you know, I, I would just not recommend 
you know, we've had a number of athletes who have been out in Spain on training camps and things like that. And they were talking about, you know, they were getting a bit upset that they weren't losing much body weight. And I'm like, well, what are you out there for? And they're like, oh, you know, to get used to being on the bike for a long time to practice this, practice that. And I'm like, well, you need energy for that. Mm. Like we're not going to try and reduce the amount of energy you're eating in order to lose some weight whilst you're trying to do, you know, hit those high numbers. And it's only when you sort of explain that, that they sort of, they then go, oh, okay, I get it. And then, okay, now we'll start to periodize into the program when you're going to be losing, you know, reducing total calories in, in order to try and get that small deficit in order to allow the individual to lose weight. So that's, um, that, that's really important for, I think, for triathletes to understand that. Uh, the other, and you, you talked and even you segued into this, John, with like, you know, okay, we're eating more protein and people, but people want to lose weight. Actually, high protein is, is a really important factor in losing, um, you know, body fat because what protein does is it keeps the individual very satiated. So feeling very full. Uh, and often with athletes, the comments back, especially from female athletes will be, geez, I've never eaten so much food yet somehow I'm losing body fat because they feel incredibly full by the density of, uh, you know, the food that they're, they're taking in and they're not wasting, they're not eating empty calories. They're eating, you know, good quality. They're getting their carbohydrates, say in the form of vegetables, and you can eat a huge amount of vegetables, uh, especially low glycemic type vegetables, uh, vegetables from the, the ground in particular that, you know, you're, aren't going to provide you with a lot of calories, but will provide you with a lot of water content and a lot of fiber. And that will also aid in terms of keeping the athlete feeling very full. So yeah, high protein intake, high vegetable intake. Um, they're probably two of the key, very key, simple um, sort of principles that uh, or, or factors that you would include in someone's diet if they are trying to lose weight. And how often in terms of that DEXA scan you talked about, you know, um, are they particularly expensive and, and how often could you sort of expect to go and get one done if you wanted to be sort of measuring your progress? Uh, I don't know how much they are in New Zealand, but yeah. in America, for instance, they're $90. Oh, yeah. Uh, in Australia, they're $90 <clears throat> if you're referred by a doctor. Um, so, and you may not even in America, you don't have to be referred by a doctor. You can just turn up. So yeah. I don't know what the rules are in New Zealand. If it's anything like Australia, you probably need to get referred. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you, they, there is a degree of radiation with them, but it is less than a plain X-ray and certainly less right. than getting on a plane. Um, so probably limiting to no more than three in a year. Um, but certainly two, two would be plenty to establish that baseline. And then you don't want to retest too early. Yeah. The, probably the earliest you're going to be retesting is at around three months. Yeah. Um, but you, you could potentially, and, and depending on if the individual has an issue with bone mineral density and things like that, whether you would retest the bone mineral density straight away or whether you'd give that a little bit more time, because that is going to take more time to, to change. Um, and so that that's really important. And, you know, we'll go back, like just going back to the vegetable thing as yeah. well. Yeah. Like, I mean, 4% of Australian adults eat the recommended amount yeah. of, uh, you know, vegetables. And I'm sure it's not much different in New Zealand. And, you know, 1% of two to 18 year olds are eating the recommended six serves a day yeah. of vegetables. And I think I can't press that on people enough. Like, 
don't go searching for crazy diets and uh, fads and all, all that rubbish that everyone embarks on the detoxes in January. And, you know, we're out of January now, so thank God, but <laughs> you know, like focus on what you're eating on a daily basis and don't expect it to like drop off straight away. But if you start eating, you know, like aiming, and we talk about serves, a serve of vegetables is roughly half a cup, but just put it next to your fist. You know, roughly try and eat two fists of veggies on every plate, like lunch, dinner, and potentially breakfast, you know, have some eggs and have some salad with it. it, it it's really not that difficult once you get in the scheme of things and also you know when you read the research on this males are twice as bad as females for eating vegetables mm. um and it's yeah 50 percent of adults are, are failing over the age of 18 are failing to eat two pieces of fruit a day and i don't know what it is that fruit got somewhere along the line a very bad reputation as being a, a cause of obesity but you know fruit is fantastic and triathletes should be utilizing fruit on a on a daily basis as a form of carbohydrates that can assist their training in a very easy manner so like a banana for instance what a great piece of you know fruit that you can eat very quickly comes in its own packaging before a swim or going out and doing a run in a whole food form and i think it's um you know the vegetable and fruit sort of factor i i don't think you can overplay how important that is to reducing body fat yeah. um and it, it you know unfortunately in today's today's era we all want the quick fixes and and want the the crazy diets and something you know revolutionary but um you know it's not always the case um so on a, on a slightly more practical note um you know if people want to try to develop some strategies and so on i know you got you guys got your fueling app is um maybe talk us through what that is and whether yeah. You can factor things like this into it you know say you've got a strategy you want to get to know, either a desired weight or a desired body fat percentage etc um maybe talk us through your, your fueling app and and how people can integrate that into their training and what it's all about yeah um so i mean the app was developed because as you said i met i used to work with sarah before she and a number of other triathletes um pro athletes but we used to work off google sheets and it uh, became increasingly difficult to manage them and provide it in a very easy manner. So, yeah, we developed Fuel In, which, you know, the, the global themes are that it's simple, it's personalized, and that it's results driven. So, it connects into, if for any of the triathletes out there, it connects into Training Peaks or Today's Plan. Um, so, they it syncs with that. So, effectively, the app allows um, it can see every session. Uh, it can see the duration, it can see the intensity of those sessions. And therefore, what it will do is employ uh, the feeds before, during and after uh, that are appropriate to that individual based on what their goals are. So whether that's weight loss, maintenance or weight gain uh, based on the metrics that they're putting in. Um, so, yeah, depending on the intensity, it will the way we view it is that we're saying carbohydrates can be manipulated uh, via the intensity and the duration of the session. So depending on how long it is, if it's a low, a low duration and a low intensity, it's either going to be not fueled during that session, or it's going to have a lower form of carbohydrates during that session. If it is say Z3 or above, and it's certainly going over 70, 75 minutes, then you're probably going to be employing some form of in-session fueling 
uh, and depending if it's at race pace, then we'll be encouraging the individuals to uh, fuel with carbohydrates, much like a race, so they can improve their carbohydrate uh, consumption rates, which is something that is again often missed by athletes, and they don't they go into a race having not practiced uh, what they're planning on doing in the race. So we we really go around trying to encourage the athletes to understand the principles similar to what we talked about today, understand the principles behind like fueling for a purpose, trying to make what is very complex, very simple for them. And to really reinforce that a healthy athlete is a high performing athlete. And they're sort of the key messages that the app goes about um, trying to instill in their athlete. So if, if an athlete's got a training peaks account and they've got all their sessions pre-programmed in there with the intensity factors and so on, then it will automatically pick up, um, pick all that information up and then it will uh, give sort of suggestions for each meal. And I noticed you've got some sort of sort of traffic light system. So it gives you a bunch of options for, for, for different sort of um, feeds. Yep. So the, the traffic light system is based on some work uh, that, came out of the UK a few few years ago now and it, it talked about like the fuel for the work required. So we use um, the traffic light system with red being a lower carbohydrate option, amber being uh, a moderate amount of carbohydrates and green being the go-to and that's going to be a higher amount of carbohydrates. So the way the app works is that those uh, pre-session fueling or post-session fueling uh, meals and the meals like breakfast, lunch, dinner throughout the day they are color coded. So the individual, we're not going to tell you, Hey, you need to eat, you know, as I said, two eggs and a piece of fish for yeah. breakfast, because I don't know, John, if you really want to eat that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you understand the principles behind that and go, okay, I click on it and it's a, let's say it's a red, a red traffic light for this. You click on that and it up pops 50 different options for meals that you could consume, which could be something like a couple of eggs with, you know, some salad or, you know, whether it be fish or chicken or meat, and you can just look in your fridge and go, okay, I've got this, this, and this. That's pretty good. That's about where it is. Cause we're not in a clinical study either, are we? We live in the real world. Yeah. And you know, if you're if you're 90% of the way there, you're probably, you know, a long way ahead of the rest of the pack in understanding, you know, what you're needing to get through and achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve. So you know, our, our view on this is let the, the athlete be in control of what they're actually eating. We just guide them along the way and provide them with plenty of options so that they can understand what is required at that point in time. Nice. Doesn't, doesn't sound like there's too much admin for the, for the athlete. There's a definitely amount of learning there, but in terms of um, yeah, admin, not too much on the athlete side. No, look, I mean, we usually with the coaches we work with and the teams, the coach actually has been, most of the coaches are really great now and they'll put in just the Z score in the title of yeah. the, um, the workout, which therefore the, all the athlete has to do is actually just go into the drop down menu and put in the time of day when they're going to do the sessions. Yeah. And so by the athlete, I mean, the only thing, yeah, as I say, the athlete just goes in, does the time of day and the default actually for the system is that, all sessions are in the morning because majority of triathletes just yeah. do all the sessions in the morning. So the default is actually, I think, 6.30 in the morning for the session time, which accounts therefore for every meal afterwards. So if athletes are training in the morning and they don't actually need to do any 
they don't actually need to do any adjustment to the program. They can just sort of sync it up and it, it runs from there. Nice. Which is very cool, which is very cool. Awesome. Okay, so if people want to find it, where, where, where do they go off and find all information about you and, uh, and Fuelin? Yep, so if they go to fuelin.com, so F-U-E-L-I-N.com, um, and then on Instagram, we're Get Fuelin, uh, and same with uh, Facebook. So yeah, reach out. Uh, if you have any questions, you can check out some videos, done a few podcasts like this uh, with, with great people like yourself and uh, just trying to explain the intricacies of uh, triathletes and nutrition. I mean, the, the, the crazy thing, John, about uh, nutrition and triathletes is there's very few studies done on them. Mm. So there's lots of studies done on cyclists. There's lots of studies done on runners but there's not many studies done on triathletes. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing that gets lost in the science is that people are translating the science of say cyclists uh, and, you know, carbohydrate, <clears throat> carbohydrate consumption on the bike, but they're forgetting that there is the runoff, you know, there's the runoff the bike, which actually impacts what type of carbohydrates you're going to be consuming as well on the bike. Yeah. Um, and, and how that can impact you. So learning that as we go, and that, that's a big part of the program is the athlete learning what types of carbohydrates, if we're talking specifically about carbs, is what types of carbs are actually going to be the best for them if they are suffering from, say, gastrointestinal issues uh, with the run off the bike, which is, is an all too common problem yeah. uh, for a lot of athletes. So, yeah, things like that are taken into account within the app as well. Nice. I would love your work. I know you'd, you could probably talk about each of these individual topics for a few hours, which would be fantastic on uh, another day. But no, love your work, Scott. So check it out, guys. Uh, Fueling uh, with Scott Tyndall. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, John. Thanks so much. Okay, we did the interview. Before, we've already done after we've done this bit, so we don't actually know what we talked about. But uh, do you want to add anything, John? I'm sure it was gold. Absolute gold, no denying it. Uh, let's go website of the week. And we've got a YouTube channel that does some really good work on the Zwift, or for those who use Zwift. And actually, the clip you sent through is how to create a cycle club. Now, is this a new thing in Zwift, John? It is brand new. So uh, GP Lama, we've had him on as a website channel in the past, his website of the week. So this is more of just a, a clip to go and watch. Um, but he does, he's kind of like the um, DC Rainmaker but the YouTube version of that, and he's always reviewing um, bike sort of stuff, so he's not a triathlete. Um, but yeah, for just main reason I wanted to bring this up, the old Philinator, Phil Patterson sent this through. I think it only came out a little while ago, but now on Zwift, you can create your own clubs and have your own events. So it's a bit of a game changer for, for clubs and organizations and coaching setups is having your own races. In the past, you were able to sort of do this. You have these things called meetups where you could arrange your time and you meet on a certain part of a course and go around but you'd be riding at the same time as everybody else now you can create your own events you know either regularly or semi-regularly or ad hoc so it might be say if we want to create an IM talk race we can now go and do it have a full set of um, results have it split into different um, ability categories and, and you can basically choose wherever you want to go so it's um, really really cool um, sort of innovation by Zwift. And it seems not that I know a huge amount about Zwift, but it seems like you have a proper start, a proper finish. It's, you know, it's not like you meet on the side of the road. It's, it's done like a proper race. Yeah. 
So it is. So it's um, I think it's awesome. I enjoyed a um, bit of Zwift racing, especially in the, the cooler months of winter. So basically a bit of a shout out to anybody if you've got a club or even if you've, you know, you, when you're doing, if you haven't done these Zwift racing before, you really need to try to have a good number of people in there. So if you've only got sort of five or six, you know, it splits up pretty quickly. But if you're a good sized club, you know, uh, and you've got a few motivated people in there to try to organize, a, you know, a bit of a racing series, um, it's, it's, it's great. John, stuff. on Zwift, and I know this is a 101 question, which I'm sure everyone's going to go, come on, Bev, but do they have the ability to have a handicap race using your power to actually do it, you know, so that it's almost like it would accommodate uh, for speed, like, you know, like, like a golf would? Uh, well, yeah, you can do, you can do sort of what, uh, what are they called? It's not scratch races. Uh, I think it's just called a hand. I think I'm not sure what it's called, but it's a handicap race you can have starting in groups. So you might say, okay, if you're in D grade, you get a five-minute head start, and then C grades another five minutes back, B's five back, and then A grades five back, and then it's sort of first to get to the finish line. So yes, you can, um, and, and you could do that in a, in a time trial format as well, I guess. No, um, here's but here's what I'm thinking: is they know your numbers so well, especially if you've done, let's say you've done, I don't know, let's say you've done 100 hours, so they know your numbers really well. That actually, it's your your speed is representative of your handicap power. Hmm. You know what I mean? So everyone actually starts at the same time and you you might be like, like you, let's just say your FTP is 300 minus 250, that the speed would actually calculate. You, you get what I mean? You kind of, you get where I'm going with this? Not really. So, so, <laughs> so well, that it, it, the speed that is reflective isn't necessarily the speed that would really be. It would be reflected on your handicap power right, rate. Right, so it's a percentage. Yeah, percentage. totally, yeah. And so everyone starts the race at the same time. You actually might be going faster than me, but because you're a – like in golf, you might be a two handicap and I'm a seven handicap, that it actually means that I might be going faster you because it's the same as my, that might be my 80% effort. So 80% effort would equal the same speed, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're actually doing a race base in that way. Cause that's one thing I love about golf, not that I play golf at all, but you can play the same game with someone who's 10 times better than you and you can have a real good competition. And the, I like, you know, traditional handicap is just, you start slower, but it's, the traditional handicap is always a bit of a, a funny thing, isn't it? Never really works. But imagine if they could create a calculation where it was based on your FTP and it was more percentages of, and that would be reflected in your speed. And so, hmm. again, if I'm at 80% of FTP, but I'm actually a way slower rider, I'm still going to sit next to you on the bike in the race. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, pretty- I'm sure they can figure that out. Then you'll get people bloody moaning because somebody will have their numbers put in incorrectly. But yeah, I get what you're saying. But, but with, like, if, if, that, if it was based on uh, so many hours of riding, but so many hours of riding, you st- like, you, like you're hardcore, you know, you might, when yeah, you okay. go and do an FTP test, you can probably go to your limit. Yeah. Whereas somebody who doesn't have the same sort of sporting background, they might think they're at the limit, but they're not really. Yeah, the soft cocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, maybe Zwift needs to give me a call. Okay. Let's talk about, um, we're not going to do my one. Oh, you are going to, we've got plenty of stuff here. Um, let's go question. Oh, winger of the week. Of the week. Okay, I'm going to yeah. say. 16. 16. Bloody Louis Di Giuseppe's number one again last week. Uh, number 16. Oh, Gail Harvey Hayward just misses out. Goes to, she was 15. Uh, she was at the pool this morning. Jonathan Curry was in 16th place. He did 18 hours and 53 minutes of uh, training off 13 activities. Nice balanced week. Five, hour, well, five hours, 30 minutes of swimming, 11 hours and 15 minutes on the bike, and two hours and seven minutes on the run. 
And so Jonathan Curry, he's from England in the United Kingdom. And that's about all we know. He's got 344 followers. Is that good? following 344 and he's got 364 followers. So Jonathan, he looks, he, I reckon he's one of Nick, Nick Rose's mates because he looks like he's got one of those total triathlon sort of kits. So Nick Rose, pass on that Jonathan Curry is our wanger, wanger of the week. Do the pirates still exist? Don't know. Don't think so. No, because that was a huge thing, wasn't it? Back in the, when forums, well, like when we started the podcast, forums were huge. And the biggest forum's always been Slow Twitch, which I think still goes, but it's definitely not what it was. Um, and then you had the, the Pirates, which was Runner's World Triathlon, wasn't it? It was on Runner's World, and the Pirates were a huge thing. I don't know Nick Rose was a big part of the Pirates. They sent us through a top, remember? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Oh well, well done. Congratulations to Jonathan. Okay, uh, John Swimsip, what did you do today? This morning we pumped out four hundred. It was a bit of a general conditioning session. Nothing, uh, nothing super specific, but it was a nice workout. So four hundred meters warm up, then two one hundred individual medleys. So that's just six hundred in total to warm up. Then first set was four times through. 200 meters moderately hard and then 100 meters steady. After moderately hard, we were taking uh, probably about 15 seconds rest. And after the 100, also about 15 seconds rest. Uh, that was first main set. Set, then we had 100 meters easy just to loosen the old shoulders off. And then the second main set was 2050s. I do like this set. 2050s. Um, but you go eight where you're doing three steady, one sprint. And you're having a fairly short rest with them. Then you're doing the next six where you're going two steady, one sprint, and you're having a bit more rest. Then you do four as one steady, one sprint. And then the last two, you're doing sprint. And as you progressively move through that set, you're getting a little bit more rest. So we did our first eight on the 50 seconds. Um, we did the next six on the 55, the next four on the 60, and then the next two on the 65 so when i'm saying we're doing them on the 50 that means you've got 50 seconds to do your um, 50 meters swimming and your rest so say we were coming in on 45 we'd get five seconds rest so we got a little less rest when we're doing the steady one and when we're doing the sprint one we'd obviously get a bit more and then we did 500 no, we actually did 400 ascending to finish so starting moderate and just easing off each 100 meters so the last sort of 100 is uh, as you warm down nice Good session? It was a good session. I mean, it was pretty slow, but it was uh, good to get it done. Good to knock it off the, knock the bugger off. That's what Hillary said there, didn't we? Knock the bugger off. Okay, um, let's talk about our patrons. Again, we've got, oh, we've got the same people. Have I? Yeah, but that's right. We'll give them love twice. Grant, the king of swing, Richards. <laughs> Michael, actually, no, I've, got, well, I've done uh, three hours. Just bear, bear with Bevan. Bear with. Okay, well, while John's talking about that, I'll talk about the supporters of the show. And these are our sponsors who sponsor uh, the show. We've got the World Triathlon Store. Now, remember, you're going to a voucher to win a $200 voucher. Um, you can support the podcast by purchasing some of our gear. And if you go to imtalk.me, then store, you'll see that we've got some cool gear. You've got the pink and blue. Profile design, you go profile-design.com. You've got the hydration, wheels, storage, aero bars, stems, handlebars. If you're a racing long course and you haven't got a front bottle system, make sure you can get one. And remember that we did the interview of David Bowden late last year. If you're in your off-season, now's time a really good time to get your setup with profile in place. And then lastly, the Magic 5, and these are custom-fitted goggles. Check out themagic5.com. They're custom-fitted. 
If you've ever experienced ill-fitting goggles or leaky goggles, these are for you. The great thing about it is it scans your face, so it actually designs it based on your own face, and they're actually really reasonably priced. So it basically works out to be around $50 US a pair, three pairs, you buy for $200 New Zealand. Um, yeah, and if Jan Fredino uses them, they must be good. So John, who are some new patrons? Uh, we've got Jeff, the Explosion Curry, Alan nice. Iron Palm, Kuptas Chan, and... Paul Madman Mitchell. And we're giving one away today. What are we giving away today? We are giving away a pair of the Magic 5 goggles, and the winner is... Did you hear that or not? Yeah, no, I did. It was great. Yep. Great. Seriously. Dan, Daniel, you've placed a chill on my heart. It's <laughs> a great nickname. I like it. <laughs> you've placed a chill in my heart. Okay, Daniel, congratulations. We'll be in contact, and you'll be able to get your Magic 5. So, again, if you want to support the boys, go to www.iamtalk.me. Go to a support show. And just go through that process. If you want some coaching, you go to coachjohnnewsome.com. If you want to listen to my podcast, Bevan James Isles Show, go to bevanjamesisles.com. Age group of the week, cool websites, and other feedback. Email us at iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, what's your goss? What's my goss? It's a short week. We had uh, our national day over here, Waitangi Day yesterday, so a day off work. Short, So it's going to be a short week. Catch up on Tuesdays. Um, Bevan, what's my goss? Now I've got this camp and Kona hopefully all uh, looking good means I've got a race to get ready for so I've got to oh, of course. Ramp, up, ramp up the training because I'm not in the greatest shape and did a did a bit of a set of six by one k's last night running and um, my legs are a bit sore Bevan oh really yeah what, what, what kind of pace are you sitting on no not particularly fast <laughs> not particularly fast <laughs> The glory days have gone. <laughs> no, I just got to get. I know it's not too far away. I just got to get myself into shape. So looking forward to doing that. Nice to have a look. It's on the time frame run. you have. What's a real? I know, and I know courses and all the conditions and stuff. But where would you want to be? It's a, it's a bit of a funny one. That course is, uh, changes all the time and it's a different venue or not a different venue. It's slightly different venue again. So I haven't really got any time expectations, um, but I'd like to think I can still be competitive, get myself on the, on the podium. So I'll uh, basically just see how things pad along. I'd say I'll be, you know, compared to when I'm at my best, I'll probably be at about sort of 90%, 85 to 90% um, where nice. I was when I did, did well over there. So yeah, it's just nice to have a little uh, goal in front. Nice. You never goss? Yeah, goss. I watched, tell you, I watched the Queen documentary, which I really enjoyed. Have you watched that? The documentary? It's not like not two, the movie? Two, no, it's a two-part documentary. Oh, is it with, on, and they, with Adam Lambert's in it? And they, no, no. It's just a two-part documentary. It's on, it was on TVN, so TVN on, demand. on Demand. Don't know when it was uh, released around the rest of the world, but highly recommend it. If you like a bit of Queen music, and when you start listening to those docos of, of our, our sort of era, yeah. it was a bit before our era, but... But um, God, they have so many good songs. And that Freddie Mercury is just an amazing singer. Oh, and showman. Yeah, like he was. He was a complete. He was a complete package as a rock star, wasn't he? Because he was yeah. a showman. Uh, he could sing like a rock star. But obviously, what's really fascinating about Queen was they all wrote the songs. Yeah, you know, all of them have number one hits, and and basically there was kind of the work was divided. And some of the songs you, which you think are really kind of like kind of gay anthems, he didn't write. Like I want to break free, he didn't write. Mm. Um, you know, like Fat Bottom Gills, he didn't write. You know, you kind of think of all that, you know. And there's, um, yeah, it's, it's they're just amazing musicians, aren't they? And the stadiums they played at when they did like the football stadiums, just the crowds. We don't experience anything like that in New Zealand. No, it's just mental. When you were living in the UK, did you ever go to big concerts? No, no, I didn't. Uh, so uh, it was a shame. 
Yeah, the yeah. Stadium ones are wicked. So that was that. Was it, Evan? What about you? You're up in bloody Auckland. I'm in Auckland. I'm, 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 I'm basically doing work isolation because because <laughs> the work I'm doing is really important. Um, and so they can't afford for us to even just get, be a close contact. Yeah. You know, they, they can't afford for us. You know, so like basically, I'm not I'm not allowed to go to the gym. Like yeah. basically, I have to be in my hotel room and just go to one location and do my job. So I've basically been in this hotel room and then going to my work and then coming back and then. But I finish up today. Um, one thing I have done, which is a new experience for me, so my book is now. June, I think, is going to be the release date, and it's kind of in the last stages. We've determined the cover, which was good. Um, but I'm, I'm going to do an audio book as well, John. So, mm-hmm. um, and at first, I'm not the greatest reader out loud person. It's, if you listen to this podcast, you know that. And the book's 75,000 words. So I'm thinking, there's no way I'm reading this book. Okay, it, I'll, do, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what I was leading to. <laughs> so I kind of, I did some research on getting someone to read it. So I kind of found a couple of guys and it's going to cost about two or 3,000 bucks to get someone to read it for you, which that seems pretty fair to me. Um, and I, I just found, you know, these guys are really good, but they just, it just wasn't the right voice. And it's really hard to find a voice. And so then, I thought, well, maybe I can do it. So I tried, I basically tried, I, it was probably about 3,000 words, which is about eight minutes of, of content. So I, I did it. And with my mistakes, so you might read a sentence and, you know, you might do a couple of sentences and you make a mistake. And so then you just kind of read that sentence again. And so for about eight minutes, it took me about 13 minutes. So that's how many mistakes I'm doing within, you know, mm-hmm. and also just to get the right feel and all the rest of it. So I thought, well, that, there's no way I can do this because it would take me forever to edit. But then I found this guy and he's, he's an editor and, and he's really cheap. Like basically for him to edit, the book will be about six and a half, seven hours of content. It will cost me about 800 bucks to a thousand bucks for him to edit. And I said, look, mate, I don't think I can do this because I make so many mistakes. I know how to have an interesting voice when I'm doing that kind of work. So it's not that my voice isn't good enough and even just the emotional journey of the book, but just, I make so many mistakes. And he said, well, send this file through and we'll see what it did. Well, he's a bloody genius, John, because (laughs) it's come back and it's made it look like I've, I've just read it from, you know, like, yeah, so... My next big project is to read my book. Very good. And I imagine it's probably going to take me about 30 hours. Probably it's probably a week's work to get mm. a six hour book done. So yeah. So that's my kind of my the next skill I'm trying to learn in my life. Oh well, I'm a bit of a downer now. You've rejected me. Well, you know, you can be my backup. <laughs> I'm sure I, I'm sure you I named you in my first book. I'm sure I named you in this book. Yeah, mate, you get lots of credit. Good. Yeah, it's all yeah, that matters. Yep. Yeah, it's it's how I'm the book's called I Will Make You Passionate About Exercise. Just meet my friend John. That's the yeah. book. Yeah. yeah. That's the audio book there. Ah, oh, good times. <laughs> all right, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Mundo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia kaha. kaha.